0: Guys, it's been such a privilege to get to go on this journey with you over the last couple of days, and um, we have heard so much incredible stuff. Um, who, went to, who went to Sam's toolkit earlier? Yeah, you guys would have heard and learned loads about how do we hear God's voice, how do we grow in the prophetic? Who went to Stu's on storytelling? Yes. Stu was there. Stu was there. You'd have heard amazing stuff about how to grow in your gifting of communication, learning how to deal with conflict or understand different parts of our personality, above, you know, even um, pursuing justice, above all of that stuff. What is the one most important thing for us as we think about what does it mean for us to be leaders who follow after Jesus? And to do that, I want to look at our last passage in Moses' life, which is Exodus 33, verses 15 to 17. Exodus 33, verses 15 to 17. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn there with me? Exodus 33, verses 15 to 17. I think it will come on the screen as well. So it says this. Moses said to him, I said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And then the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. Because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. I know you by name. As we leave this conference, as we um, take our journals and pick up all the notes and all the things that, that we've learned and all of the skills and the new um, things that we can, we can kind of pick up and put into practice. The only thing, the only thing that really, really, really matters, the most important thing is that God goes with us. If we leave here and we pick up some great skills and we have a great time, we eat some nice dominoes, that's great. That's a lovely, that's a lovely couple of days. But actually, if we want to be people who lead for Jesus, if we want to be people who are, who are Christian leaders seeking to, to build and, and, and steward the kingdom of God in every sphere of society, the only thing that ultimately matters is that God goes with us. God's presence God's actual being. Remember what Liz said on the first night about um, when she takes Jesse to school and she has that moment where where she asks, Jesse, do you want me to come with you or do you want me to stay in the car? And Jesse says, I want you to come with me because there's a confidence which comes when the presence of someone that we know goes with us. What Moses is saying is the most important thing. The thing that sets him apart, the thing that that distinguishes him from everyone else on the face of the earth is not his great ability to speak it's not even the fact that he knows in his head who God is. It's the fact that God's presence goes with him. And that's what I want to look at today. As we come into land, I want to look at how do we become the kind of people who in every single moment are so focused on the presence of God and see that as the most important thing. Um, I said to a few of you uh, the other day that like, um, we looked at each other and we were like, do you reckon we could do that again? So I had one glass in one hand. Sam threw another glass. And I caught it with the other hand like this. So I now st- stood there with two glasses in my hand, th- feeling like an absolute legend. And I don't know if, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think um, I'm the kind of person who um, often does things and then thinks about the consequences afterwards. And that sometimes means I get myself into slightly sticky situations. Um, if you want to come and talk to me about the time I drove my car into a river, um, come and find me afterwards. Yeah, I know. Um, but this is one of those moments. So I'd caught one glass... I'd caught the second glass. I had them both in my hands. And Sam and I looked at each other, and Sam then threw me a third glass. You know the end of the story. Rather than dropping the glasses and trying to catch that one, I had the two glasses in my hands. I caught them together, and they all smashed. Genuinely true story. Genuinely true story. Um, And realized afterwards that was a little bit silly. Now, I, I think that so often I can know that God's presence is the most important thing. I can know that being with Jesus, having intimate relationship with him is the most important. But I think like me with those glasses, I can so often have other things in my hands, that I kind of focus on a little bit too much. I focus on a little bit too much and actually hold on to them and actually miss out on the most important thing, which is Jesus. And what I want to do today is I want to look at um, the kind of the bit before this passage that I've just read in Exodus 33 to kind of unpack a couple of things which actually might um, prevent us or stop us from really engaging with and remembering God's presence in every moment of our life. There's two things, I think, from this last story that we can pick up as we step out of this place. And there's two things that we can pick up um, and, actually, and actually lay down lay down and say, actually, you know what, God, I'm not going to be like Tom with those glasses. I'm going to lay down the things which don't matter so I can pick up the most important thing. And the first one of those things is sin. It's sin. Now, um, sin's not necessarily the most um, appealing words. It's not something we often want to talk about. But I think sin has the ability to actually really prevent us from having relationship with God. One definition of sin would be doing things our own way and worshipping things that aren't God. Doing things our own way and worshipping things that aren't God. And just before this passage in uh, Exodus 32, sorry, in Exodus 33, um, we read this story about the people of Israel. And Becky talked last night about the fact that um, after Moses um, had led them across the Red Sea and out of Egypt, and they were going towards the Promised Land, they were walking through the desert and um, the people started to get a little bit grumpy. We, had, we read last night about the people grumbling about the fact they didn't have water. And they, they just get, start to get really frustrated because they're like, Moses, you said you were going to take us into the promised land. You said you were going to take us to this place flowing with milk and honey. But actually, we're just in the desert. And they start to get a bit frustrated with Moses. And it gets so bad that in Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain talking with God. He's being given the Ten Commandments. He's, he's meeting with God face to face. They can kind of like take hold of and worship. And Aaron tells them. He tells them to take off all this stuff that they that they're wearing, and he he molds it and he forms it into this golden calf. It's an idol that they can worship. And basically, just after this story, Moses comes down from the mountain and he hears the people singing and dancing. These people kind of put the um, the calf right at the center of their of their worship, and he hears them singing and partying and dancing. And he gets really, really, really angry. He's just been given the Ten Commandments on these t- two stone tablets, and he throws them to the ground. He, 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 um, he sends the people away and he burns the golden calf. And he says this in verse 21 to Aaron. What did these people do to you that led them to such great sin? What, did, what, what happened? How this, These people, they've been taken out of Egypt. They've been delivered by God. They've seen God move in powerful ways. What happened? How did it get to this point where they're worshipping something which isn't God? And let's look at how Aaron responds in verses 22 to 24 of chapter 32. Aaron says this, Do not be angry with me, my lords." Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to, be, to, to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and, it, and out came this calf. Aaron shifts the blame. He's saying, no, 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 no. It wasn't really my fault. They just, they forced me to do it. I couldn't do anything about it. They just forced me to. I, 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 I just said, take off all your gold. I threw it into the fire and just look what happened. This golden calf came out. He shifts the blame. He shifts the blame. And then God brings judgment on the people. God sees the fact that they've turned away from him and God brings judgment on the people. He asked the Levites, who are the people who are were, who were leading worship, to go through uh, and kill those people who turn their backs on God. He kills the people who've turned their backs on God. Now, I don't think any of us are likely to go home from the One Life Conference, um, get home and take your mum's jewellery, um, form it into a golden calf and have it on your windowsill and worship that every morning. It's probably not likely to happen. But if you're anything like me, I can see a lot of myself in Aaron. I can see a lot of myself in the way that Aaron responds. No, I didn't have a choice. I, I couldn't, no, I couldn't do anything about it. It just sort of happened. Oh, it's not really my fault, is it? It's just sort of like, it just sort of happened to me. What, actually, what's really that wrong with it? I think that sin so often starts in those little moments. It starts in those little moments of saying, oh, is it actually really that bad? Or I, can, I didn't really have a choice. I, didn't, I couldn't really have done anything differently. I think sin so often stems from the slightly easier decision. Think about Aaron. He's got all these people around him who are like, where's Moses? What's happening to God? Like, what, you know, where are we? We're in the middle of this desert. It's so hot. We haven't got any water. Can't you just create a golden calf for us to actually be able to worship? It would have been, it would have been much easier for Aaron just to say, yeah, yeah, sure, fine. I'm going to, I'll create a golden calf. That's fine. He'd have had the pressure of all the people around him. And he chooses to use of social media. Now I found that I was um, kind of on Instagram and often would have friends who I um, was following their accounts and I don't know if, if, if you're anything like me, you kind of look at Instagram and you think, wow, everyone's life is so much better than mine. It's so much better than mine. Look, look at the holidays they are going on, look at the stuff they're doing. Um, particularly for me at the moment, lots of my friends are um, kind of like doing really well in their jobs and doing some really cool stuff. And I found myself, every time I'd look on Instagram, I'd look at what my friends, these people that, um, that I knew were doing and I'd think, oh man, like, I wish my life looked like that. I wish my life looked like that. And I found myself getting really, really jealous. And actually getting really angry as well. I was like, what are they doing? You know, why are they doing that? That's a stupid way to live. Or like, you know, what, I just got really self kind of like judgmental. And I felt God really challenged me and say, Tom, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to choose to stay in that space where you, where you look at Instagram, where you spend time looking at your friend's social media accounts and actually allow sin to take a hold of your life? Or are you going to choose to turn your back on that and say no? And I felt God really clearly say to me, Tom, I want you to delete Instagram. I want you to come off social media because it's actually drawing you away from me. It's drawing you away from me. Because that's what sin does. It, draws, it, it turns our back on God and it takes us a different, in a different direction. And it's these little moments, I think, when they go unchecked, when we, when we just say, oh, it's fine. Is it really that big a deal? That's actually where we turn our back on God And we actually lose the ability to engage in his presence. We lose the ability to to have intimacy with Jesus when we say, oh, it's it's not that bad, is it? Or that would be much easier to go in this direction. And God cares about sin. God really cares about sin. We see it in in this passage that he goes through and and he brings judgment on the people. He asks the Levites to go through and kill the people who've turned their backs on him. And it's not because God wants us to fit in this like, nice box or there's a set of rules that God wants us to live by just because he he likes rules he's not like that at all but God knows that sin is bad for us God knows that sin actually if we keep going that direction it's only going to lead to death and God longs for us to have relationship with him he longs for us to to live in intimacy with him and he's designed us to to live in holiness because he knows that is the best way for us to live God cares about sin because he wants us to live in intimacy with him. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. It's why Jesus died on the cross. We have the good news of the fact that actually all of us, whether, whether it's, you know, like me, jealousy on social media, whether it's um, pornography, whether it's um, just like having that extra drink or swearing or whatever it is, lying, whatever it is that you feel like, actually, that's like it's still something that, that has a hold in my life. The good news is we don't have to battle that alone. It's not about, okay, I just need to make sure I don't sin. I just need to make sure I don't do that thing. I need to make sure that I can say really, 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 really holy and follow all the rules. It's not about that. God knew that we couldn't do it on our own. So he chose to die on the cross. He chose to die on the cross to, to make a way for us to have relationship with God. And that's what Moses does. He comes before God and he repents. and He says, God, these people, they're they're turning their back on you, God, but I love you. God, would you forgive these people's sin? Would you forgive these people's sin? And that's what God does. He always does that. If there's things in your life where I was talking and you're like, I just felt there's stuff in my life and I just don't really know whether I can bring that to God. I want to say to you today that God always forgives. God always forgives. There's nothing that you can do, no sin in your life, no area where you feel like, oh, that's just got, I just can't, I just can't go near that. God's going God's gonna, um, gonna to be angry with me for that. There is no area of sin that can separate you from God. Whenever we turn to him and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, he will always come to us in love and forgiveness and mercy. He will always come to us in love and forgiveness and mercy. And the second thing I think that can separate us from God, we've got sin on the one hand, and the second, it's settling for second best. Settling for second best. Turn with me to Exodus 33, verses 1 to 3. And it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Because of the way in which the people have turned their backs on God, what God is saying to Moses is, you know that what I promised you right at the beginning in Exodus 3 when I met you in the burning bush? I promised you that you are going to be able to go to the land flowing with milk and honey. You can have all of that, you can go to the promised land, but actually, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send an angel with you, but I'm not going to go with you. Imagine what that would have been like for Moses. These people have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years. Then they've escaped the Pharaoh's army. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've um, they've gone through the desert. And finally, God is saying to them, yeah, you you can finally go. You can go to the land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be a good place. Milk and honey sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I like milk. I like honey. That sounds like a pretty good place, particularly when you've been in the desert for so long, when you've been eating, you know, drinking water and having a little bit of manna. you're probably like, milk and honey sounds really, really, really appealing at this point. God says, you can have all of that, you can have it all, all of the stuff i promised you, but I'm not gonna go with you. My presence won't be with you. And Moses, as the leader of the people, he's left with this choice. Does he say yes to the promise if God's not gonna go with him? Does he say yes to the promise if God's Not going to go with him. Imagine what this is like for Moses. He's had to wait years and years and years and years for this. Steve said yesterday that he'd been been in the desert in Midian for 40 years. Then he's been leading the people through um, the desert. You're pleased with me. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses knew that the promised land without the presence of God wasn't worth it. The promised land without the presence of God is second best. The promise without the promise giver, it's second best. I loved what, um, what Alex was sharing earlier about um, the, his story of actually coming, coming to this point where actually he had been dreaming and planning and preparing for this life in politics. And in some ways, he kind of like reached the pinnacle of that. He was in this job, he was, he was doing amazing things. He was like, this is what my identity is in. This is all the stuff that um, I've been dreaming of. This is what I feel like God's called me to. And actually what he realized in that moment is that is that without God, If that becomes our identity, if that becomes the thing which we hold really, really tightly onto, actually it's never going to satisfy us. When I was about 15, um, I remember I was in my youth group and a guy came up to me and said, "Um, Tom, I feel like there's going to be um, a position of leadership which is going to open up for you um, in the next few months and God wants you to step into it. And at that point, I wasn't really leading in any way. Um, I'd like come to faith and I was really excited about my faith, but I wasn't really leading. Um, and a few months later, this, uh, this other guy called Tafazwa, who was in my youth group, um, told me that um, his family were, um, were moving to a different city. And so um, he'd been helping to lead our youth service. And he said, Tom, I really feel like um, there might be a good opportunity for you to step into leadership. And I was like, amazing. It felt like God was really calling me um, to step into leadership. And that was 13 years ago now. Um, and I've had the amazing privilege of going on this journey where God has called me into different positions of leadership. And I've had um, amazing moments where I get to do stuff like this, where I get to, to stand on the stage and preach and do all this stuff, which when I was a 15 year old, I really felt God was calling me to step into. But if I'm being honest, there have been moments where I have put my identity more in, in this stuff than actually in the presence of God where I've become so focused on, how did my talk go? Or, you know, are people responding to what I'm saying? Or, um, yes, we had loads of people at this event we were running. I've become actually a bit too focused on that. And in that, in that place, I've missed out on God's presence. I've missed out on God's presence. I wonder what the second best is for you. I wonder what the second best is for you. Maybe it's being accepted at school. Maybe it's getting into that friendship group. Maybe it's getting good grades. Or getting into the, into the universe that you want to. Maybe it's getting that good job like Alex was talking about. Maybe it's having an impact. Maybe like me, is you know that God has called you to lead. You know God has called you to have an impact on the world around you. He says, he says who are you going to send with us? And God says, I'm going to send my presence. And then Moses says, don't send us up from here unless your presence goes with us. He was so sure that God's presence was the thing that he needed. He asked twice. He was bold in asking for God's presence. And this whole conference has been about encountering the presence of God. This whole conference has been, um, we've been sharing stories about people who've experienced something of friendship with God. And I believe that the reason that Moses, even though um, he'd come to the end of his life, even though he was at this point where he was like, actually, you know what? Um, I I could just go and go to the promised land without God. I think the reason that he knew that God needed to be with him is because of a little verse in verse 11, which says this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses had experienced friendship with God. He'd experienced friendship with God. And so he was willing to say, you know what, God, I don't want any of it. I don't want to settle for second best. I'm not going to go anywhere near sin, God, because I know that you're my friend I've tasted and seen your goodness in my life. I know your faithfulness through opposition. I know that even when everyone around me seems to be against me, God, I know that I can hold on to that. We heard that in Freya's story, that um, as she was sat in the cubicle in, in the toilet of her school, that she experienced friendship with God. We heard it from, from Steve throughout his life, where he says, you know what? Um, all throughout my life, in these moments, God, I'm going to make myself available to you, because I know that you're my friend we heard it in Becky's story when she was faced with, with, with sickness and opposition. She said, you know what, God, I'm going to hold on to you because I've experienced friendship with you. And you know that's accessible for you as well? God says, come to me. In, in, in John 15, it says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I call you friends. And as we come to, to the end of this conference, um, I want to I just say to you, if you choose friendship with God, if you say yes to his call on your life. One thing I can't promise you is that it's going to be easy. I can't promise you that it's going to be fun and great and easy and it's going to be like plain sailing for the rest of your life. There will be moments of opposition. There will be moments when it's hard. There'll be moments where you have to say no to, to the easy stuff, to the comfortable decisions. There'll be moments where actually there's, there's second best on offer, but you have to say no to that. But what I can promise you is that friendship with Jesus is the most life-giving, satisfying, beautiful thing. Actually, if you choose to say yes to Jesus, the life that he's going to invite you into is not going to be one where he lets you down. It's not going to be one where he lets you down. Becky last night talked about the verse in uh, Hebrews 12 where it says, since therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin to come and kneel here, to lay down that stuff, and then when you're ready, to come to either me or to Liz, um, and we'd love to anoint you with oil as a marker and as a sign of God's presence with you. So I'm just going to pray, and then as the band play, as you feel ready, just come and, and kneel, and then come and be anointed with oil.